Propane Plus in Rhode Island for all your propane needs. Call them 401 885 4209. In Massachusetts, you can reach them at 508 252 3359. Propane Heating and Cooling. It's Propane Plus. Their team's been there three generations. They're available 24-7 for service and delivery, and they plan on serving you for a long time to come. They offer online billing, ability to schedule a service delivery at the click of a button, and remember, all customers receive a free safety inspection on their equipment. It's Propane Plus, and remember with propane, it's affordable, sustainable, equitable, good for the environment, and now it's renewable. Call Propane Plus today at 401 885-4209. In Massachusetts, call them at 508-252-3359. They're very easy to navigate website. It's propaneplus.com. Propane Plus. Call them 401-885-4209. You're listening to the John DePietro Show, folks. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM can always listen online on our website, topetro.com. It's Monday. It's December 19th. <clears throat> I mean, we're going to talk about some of the news that's out there. But without question, that uh, Patriots game yesterday, like many of you, um, I, I I sat there in, in disbelief and was even numb at, at the end of that. Um, I thought the final drive of Patriots Raiders was poorly handled. They had two timeouts. All they needed was a field goal. And so with proper time management, with the two timeouts, definitely could work your way down the field, try to get out of bounds, and then set set up what could have been a, a game-winning field goal. And Nick Folk has been key. And as as anyone that watched it knows, that's... That's obviously not the way it went down yesterday. Um, but just when the, the, the play, the drive started, <clears throat> they immediately did a short pass middle of the field and then had to burn off a timeout. And, and then, so now you don't, then they had one timeout left. And then, then they had to use another timeout and the drive was still going, but what they just did was they they shortened the field, so to speak, for the the rated defense because the rated defense then knew that they they weren't going to be in the middle of the field. When when you have two timeouts, you can utilize the middle of the field because then you get a big gain down the middle, obviously on a pass drive and then a pass play on the drive and then and then burn off one of the timeouts and then still have that timeout for the field goal. But so the the play calling was poor. And then that that final play um like everyone else I, as I watched it it seemed like you know, oh okay, you know, that's too bad that was a great run. I don't know why they stopped running it by the way. Um suddenly after they had success running, then they stopped running it. I don't know who's doing the play calling for the Patriots. I know people want to say it's it's Matt Patricia. I I don't I don't know if it is Matt Patricia, but um, I I mean I know he's the offensive coordinator, but somehow they suddenly stopped running, and and Stevenson had a monster game. The guy he was almost on pace to do two hundred yards yesterday. It's a big deal if they get one hundred yards. 
But like many of you, as I was watching that, okay, they're going to try to do a lateral. That's very unpatriot-like with the lateral. Then it turned out it was a total ad lib. They were not supposed to do that. And then what what should have just been, I was kind of like, okay, it'll it'll go to overtime. You know, I have nothing going on. It's a Sunday night. I'll, well, then I'll watch the overtime. You know, I liked our chances in overtime because the Raiders aren't that tough. But instead we got this. With no time on the clock. Have you ever seen an ending I've like never no. seen like that? I have no idea why he was doing that. Oh my goodness. Chandler Jones, formerly of the Patriots. Belichick looked like he was going to strangle somebody. You know, it, um, folks, the beauty, though, of sports, and especially the NFL, it's live, it's unscripted, obviously. Um, you know, there was nothing about the Patriots. It wasn't even enjoyable to watch yesterday. Let's let's also just back up for just a moment. That was supposed to be the Sunday night game. And then at least you get the Sunday night announcers. And then because both teams are struggling, they thought the Belichick-Josh McDaniel matchup, not as big as they initially thought it was going to be. So they switched it off. The Giants and the Washington, whatever, commanders, they got the Sunday night 8 o'clock slot. We got bumped. I thought it was also a 425 start. It was a 4 o'clock, 405 start with, I've never even heard these announcers before, and they were terrible. And one of them, the color one, uh, the color announcement, you know, you have the play-by-play, and then you they normally have a former player who's doing color. He was, I mean, it was obviously his first Patriot game. He kept saying, you know, this is so unpatriot-like. Actually, a lot of what's going on lately is not unpatriot-like. But that was... Um, it was just torturous, and it was an element of you're sitting there stunned. Like, did that, that looks, and with no time left, I mean, I don't have to, everybody saw it. If they haven't seen it by now, I saw Joe Kayada posted on NBC10, what just happened. And, and that video has already been viewed 5.7 million times by Joe Kayada of NBC10. Torture. Brutal. There's something wrong. I'm not going to... And I know, I think today, that will be the talk of the day. Um, but there's something... I, I, I don't know. The whole vibe... I, I don't understand the play calling. I'll say that as a Patriot fan. The, they had the running game going in the second half. That's what was... And it, it looked like that... And I know people want to go to the call and for the Raiders. And, he, you know, maybe it looks like he had one foot on the line. But they, they had two timeouts, they had the ball, and they had a chance to drive down, get in field goal position. But the play calling on that final drive, by the way, look at look at what Stevenson did with that run. Why didn't they why didn't they give it to him earlier? I mean, that guy is a machine. He was the highlight of yesterday. So now that run, it's too bad. There's no time left. If they had not burned that timeout, they could have used that timeout 
right there with better play calling. I, I recognize that time had gone off the clock, but I'm saying call it earlier in the drive. And they, they absolutely were in a position where they could have come back with a field goal. But that was a torturous, torturous game. All right, politics this week with Justin Katz is coming up. Folks, you are listening to The John DePietro Show. Get the most of your outdoor space with Limitless Outdoors. Call today for a free quote, 401-580-1852. Limitless Outdoors, they specialize in patios, walkways, steps. They did a fantastic job on my outside steps. Outdoor kitchens, landscape lighting, retaining walls, lawn installations, excavation call limitless outdoors today let's dream build and enjoy 401-580-1852 based in smithfield limitless outdoors they also do indoor fireplaces or outdoor fireplaces limitless outdoors call them today free quote get the most of your outside you're gonna love what they can do for you 401-580-1852 401 580 1852 Limitless Outdoors. Dream, build, enjoy. Folks, you are listening to the John DePietro Show weekdays. We start at 11. We go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9. You can always listen online at the website, dePietro.com. It's time for our segment, Politics This Week. Joining us, managing editor, anchorising.com. It's Justin Katz. And Justin, after um, at least two weeks, maybe even a little bit longer than that, but uh, this battle of the homeless encampment at the State House, uh, the McKee people got some things that kind of broke their way in the form of uh, change strategy, judge delayed things, gave them some time seemingly to hammer some things out. Um, definitely some gut acrimonious and, and the McKeep governor himself saying that it was the advocates that wanted to keep some of the homeless people up there. But in the end, this uh, over on Cranston Street, the armory, that is now the, quote, warming station. They brought in crossroads. He got a ruling from the judge. And on Saturday morning, I actually went up and they come in and all the tents finally go on this battle of uh, Governor McKee and the homeless seemingly for now has come to an end. Yeah, well, I mean, it was kind of inevitable. I mean, the judge ruled that you don't have a right to set up your home on the property of the state house. I mean, it's it's kind of an obvious thing um, that was would have really put us in a precarious position if, if it were really the case that people could just live on public property. Um, right. And that, so I, I, we, we averted that. I mean, the theater of it all is, is pretty, pretty astounding. And it, the, the way the governor has been kind of trapped in this, you know, the, the progressives with the, with the, um, making it making a thing in the spring and he didn't quite know what to do about it it's it's a very strange kind of an issue i i've gotten in a few um, battles with journalists particularly at the globe you you can't criticize anything about it it's it's pretty astonishing i mean and i think that's part of what the the governor's caught in i mean if you if you point out you know maybe we need to focus on other things like improving the economy and the housing suddenly you're you're attacking them uh, you're making and it it's very, very bizarre. They, they really do. It makes you think it's sort of like they, they 
homelessness is this issue. They can trot out, they write some stories about it with some nice pictures of a family, and then nobody's allowed to criticize it. Everybody gets to give up, and it's obvious what you have to do. You got to give, you got to give them free housing. You've got to crack down on landlords. Uh, it's, it's a very, it's. Unlike other issues, it's, there's very much almost like a consensus that there's just no discussion. It's just something that evil people are doing to other people, and we could just solve this all with a snap of our fingers. That's kind of the attitude. I think that's what you see manifesting when you get arguments like they have a right to live on in front of the state house. I mean, it's just it's just this bizarre psychology that we we kind of need to figure out how to start addressing. And now that you know, kind of the, the mad the crazies and, and children are, are really running the show in some ways in government. Hey, just to catch you make, and I hope everyone just caught that you make a brilliant point, And that is the unbiased way that this is covered in, in the media. And, and, you know, as I think of it, and I just thought of it as you're saying it, I don't, do you ever remember, I can't recall, I should say one article about a homeless individual that in any way may criticize them, be negative about them, show them in a poor light. Uh, for instance, you know, the, the Globe recently just did one of this family, and uh, I think they have three children. And, uh, you know, through a series of it, I, I'll admit that the state you think should hire or some, somehow, maybe if it's in more children, but have a caseworker almost working with them, because that's an unusual situation. But, you know, they make... I mean, you hate to say it, but they make poor decisions and staying in a hotel is certainly not a decision. Um, you know, something should be carved out. But the term homeless, the moment someone puts that forward, uh, it, it becomes a shield and it's a shield that can't be penetrated. Another good example, Justin, I think I'd like to hear your thoughts is is Steve Alquist. I mean, he basically was he wasn't a, a, a member of the, a journalist reporting on it. He was the lead advocate. He was the one leading the charge against Governor McKee, but he was, you know, championed and the unbelievable work he's doing and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and calling out there's 500 people and there's 50 of them up there. And, and in the end, I, I think there were eight of them. I was there. Sat, all the tents were empty. I think there's even an element of it's irresponsible the way some of this reporting has been. Yeah, I, I think so. And I, but I think the it's very difficult to tell where the line ends on the advocates and the and the journalists. I mean, I, the article you're referencing about the family was by Alexa. I don't know how to pronounce yes. it. Like a goat. And um, I mean, it, it, a compelling story. I had a lot of sympathy for the family. I mean, they've got four kids. I've got four kids. He's a roofer. I was in construction. I mean, I, and I was certainly in that that range. If one or two things hadn't broken my way, we'd have potentially been living in tents. But but what's what's interesting is it's so. Yeah, it, sort of that story, for example, presented it as a tragedy that they've got to kind of all kind of camp together in one, a relative, one room in a relative's house and that kind of thing, which, you know, when I was in that situation, I remember I'd arguing with progressives and they would say things like, well, you're lucky. You've got family to live with. Other people don't have that, you know, well, yeah, because that's part of, that's part of how we fix this problem is we, we shore up families. We make sure that right. people are each other without having to rely on government you can't even have that conversation though because the minute you say anything and all i think i all i think i said on alexa's article was that the journalists never really challenged the status quo democrats in the system that creates this problem in the first place and she got all kinds of defensive started getting very i'm going to hold your hand and walk you through this and like very condescending and, and kind of wow and, and so you can't even raise simple points <laughs> one line on twitter suddenly 
people. You're you're attacking their great journalism. You're attacking the homeless. That and I, you know, I don't care if I mean it's a it's Friday night Twitter spat, whatever. But the that attitude really, really prevents you prevents us as a community from from figuring out how to solve these problems. And the progressives love it because when you can't have a discussion, the solution is, oh, well, we got to just have government do something. And I think that's that I think is this issue is very indicative of that. You can't, as we were discussing when when they were out when the were out there and the homeless, there was no you know, list of who are these people really? What are they really doing here? I I, I had tweeted at Steve Alt when he noted they were packing up all the tents and I, they left their tents, you know, I mean, sure. There's probably not a lot of places to store them in a homeless shelter or if they, if they were sent to prison for whatever reason. Uh, but it just seemed very, it just seems strange to me that you're just leaving their tents. It seems like maybe advocates could come get the tents. And then uh, Phil Isle, who was an, another oh, local yeah. progressive journalist, he's, Oh, look at those outfits they're wearing. They were just wearing kind of your, your painter, covers that you wear when you, you paint your house or, or sure. you know when you're going to be dealing with clothes of people who maybe haven't had the chance to shower for a couple of weeks i mean it's not a, it's not an unreasonable thing for workers to wear these things but it really points out okay well then where are you where why are you watching steve why are you up these tents for and holding them for them i mean there's just so many it's it's just such this weird the as by default government has to do this and government has to take action and fix things and be human. And I think they're really setting themselves up for fall because it's it's this very government that causes the problem. And that's that's the point that they they never want to get to. They always want to talk about the symptoms and what more taxpayers uh, can do, but or what more landlords can be forced to do, which is another problem. But uh, it's it's an interesting situation. And, and I think the first step is figuring out how we can start actually discussing the situation with people who disagree and not just becoming this, this flame war. Folks, again, with our segment is politics this week with me, Justin Katz, managing editor, anchorising.com. Justin, I want to go back to that article because I am seeing that the reporter on it, you know, so proud less than 24 hours later, they've started a GoFundMe. It's raised more than 15,000. That that's, that's advocacy. Why, you know, this whole business of, and even promoting, you know, thanks to our readers. So I, I know uh, they just created a GoFundMe. This becomes, you know, other homeless people want to be written about. So a GoFundMe will then be started for them. And then boom, the, you know, $15,000. It, I, I mean, I, I, again, I recognize you can't criticize in any way, but this almost, I, I don't know. There's just something about that, that to me that it rings hollow. And I like your point of, what about those who aren't written about and what government function failed these people? Right, exactly. I mean, we, we need to we need to get to know what's solving it. I mean, people people ask, well, what's your what's the alternative solution? Well, the alternative solution is to improve the economy, increase, decrease regulation so you can have more housing. Those are the solutions that will generate fewer homeless. And then the only people who are homeless are people with defi- de- with definable problems like mental illness or drug abuse. And then you can treat that illness to get them back on track. But that's not at all where they, they don't even consider that a solution. And but I think the journalism points an important one it is advocacy it is and that is all we get out of mainstream journalism you cannot trust a thing they write on anything because you have to suspect that they're advocates on some level and i think we see this with mike stanton teaching journalism at uconn and and etc that's they're being taught that that's the job i think uh they're not being taught to be the hard-nosed old uh you know 
grease cover or ink covered uh, wretches out there gathering hard stories and challenging power. That's not at all what they're being taught to do. The, the truth is not an issue. And this is why, I mean, it, it's a very broad topic. I mean, this is why you see them advocating for years for conservatives to be kicked off of Twitter and then panicking like the entire world's collapsing when some of them are, are, are taken off Twitter for doxing Elon Musk. So, I mean, that's, it's, it gets to this, the, the self-righteousness and they, they think they are moral crusaders and activists. They don't think they are just people whose job it is to ignore it all and get a story so people know what's going on. I also like that on that Twitter feed that this libertarian posted, you know, they spent $40,000 on hotel rooms Yet there are all these apartments in Woodsocket that are three bedroom, uh, 42 apartments in Woodsocket under $1,500 a month that they could have rented. And then put, let's be honest, this is about making poor personal decisions. That, that's one of those things, Justin, you'd never see that written in, in an article about homeless. Right. Well, they, they, they've, and we've discussed before during, I mean, during, during the Trump era, they were already kind of the, you know, the conservative was the last person mentioned or, or the alternative voices were, were kind of found, but they were downplayed during the Trump era. They, the journalists I found have just decided they don't need to do that anymore. You, you don't need to give the other side uh, any airing. And, and it's a real, it's a real problem. Cause first of all, people trying to consider the issue don't, don't get that other perspective. It's real easy to make something seem plausible of position given but it also reduces the kind of the, the trust in the news stories and that's that's a problem as well folks again uh quick break much more ahead politics this week justin katz managing editor anchorising.com right here on the john DePietro show for over 125 years ameriprise financial has provided advice for clients unique goals help millions of Americans retire on their terms. Now, as we're at the end of the year, beginning of a new year, why not take advantage of our free consultation? Call Tom Bryan today, Ameriprise Financial, 401-434-1510. Offices located 400 Massasoit Avenue in East Providence put the strength of a leader in retirement planning to work for, for you through a personal one-on-one -on -one relationship. Call Tom Bryan today, Ameriprise Financial Advisors, 401-434-1510. Get solid advice. Get a plan, whether it's for yourself, you and a spouse, maybe your children or grandchildren. Take advantage of this free consultation, Ameriprise Financial, 401-434-1510. Call right now, 401-434-1510. Tom Bryan, Ameriprise Financial Advisors. Our segment is Politics This Week. With me is Justin Katz, Managing Editor, AnchorRising.com. Well, uh, Justin, Mayor Lorza, he um, first kind of poked his head out of the tent, I'd say, uh, when he had that press conference with the incoming mayor, Brett Smiley, who attended, and then Ambassador Joe Paolino, Angel Tavares, and he was, took a pretty aggressive tone towards situation with the schools. And I think his proposal, I don't think it's been vetted enough by the media, because to me, the way it was presented was this business that, oh, they, you know, go all charter. But he's done now two interviews that I've seen, one on Channel 10, one on Channel 12. And he lays out, I think, you know, more of, first of all, it's the most aggressive tone I've heard from any elected official about the situation with the unions, especially the Providence Teachers Union. 
I, I would go so far as to say he's been even more aggressive than any of the Republicans that are at the state house. But he basically says this system is broken. The problem is the contract. The problem is the union and lays out, especially on Channel 10, a little bit more of the school is failing, which they're they're all failing, but close it and then reopen it as a charter school. So I want to give your thoughts. And I know some people immediately hear Mayor Lorza, they start taking shots at him. But I, I thought he was very articulate. He was right on the money. And, and the part that also got a people's attention was he said he would not send his son to the public schools in Providence. Yeah, I mean, but but isn't that obvious? I mean, it's, one of those, it's another truth that you're just not allowed to say. You know, if you have the means, get your kids out of those schools. It's, yeah. I mean, it's just an obvious thing you ought to do as a parent, I think. Uh, so he's just being honest there. And I think, I mean, I, I've got to give him, on other issues, he seems not to have, have come around so much but on this one he, he's definitely as i say been red pilled i mean he's definitely looked at the beast and said yeah this is a beast i mean that's that's really a refreshing kind of first step in all this and and the call to make them all charter schools that's really uh, that's just a really a cloaked way to say the the labor unions need to be shaken up and taken out of the equation and we need to start having incentives in schools for them to perform which is what folks like us have been saying for decades but you know it's it's great to see it you know starting to get some purchase. Uh, and they've done similar things in Massachusetts and Massachusetts, although I I still think they their system could improve. I mean they're they're consistently rated among probably the best in the country. Oh yeah. So that's one of the things they did is if your school is failing, it closes down and can reopen under as a charter or, or a school choice starts to get implemented. And I think that's what it really comes down to. And everybody knows it. It's, it's just like the homeless. It's an issue we're not allowed to really discuss. Everybody knows it's the labor unions run them as their as as a way to gain money and create jobs and gain political that's what they do. And they're destroying the lives of hundreds of thousands of Rhode Island children. So it, in some ways, it's, it's almost shocking. It, it, it's, a, it's a surprise for a mayor to come out of office and say, yeah, this is a big problem here. But that's, that's really what it is. They've got, they've got to get in there. And I, I, we're, not, we're definitely not seeing the chutzpah the, the to do it in this, at the state level. So I don't, I don't think the state takeover is going to bear any fruit on this at all. It's just going to be another way. How can we offload the blame and pretend we're, we're coming up with a solution that may work in 10, 20 years? That's, that's going to be no solution at all. But it, it's, it's nice of Alorza, he, I mean, to, to come out and, and advocate this way. But I think, you know, rather than shuffling off to be part-time professor at Roger Williams, he ought, he ought to be it's an issue. I mean, he ought to stay on this. Now that he's seen it, he ought to be an advocate and make sure everybody else can see what he sees now. I think, um, well, several things. Number one, the Channel 12, uh, one of the people at Channel 12 even tweeted out as the audio was playing, there were audible gasps at some of the things that he said. Now, that tells me that they, um, whoever was gasping, <gasps> You know, doing that when he would say certain things, they don't fully comprehend just what the situation is. That and Steph Machado, who was doing the interview for um, Channel 12, Gene Velicenti had him as a guest on 10 News Conference. She was even questioning him with what I would call some of the union talking points, which is, are you afraid, you know, some of the teachers, they'll leave feeling disrespected. That's that's a union talking point. Oh, the teachers are disrespected. And then 
you know, another thing they say is this whole business of, oh, what are you going to do? Just close all the schools if there'd be no options. What, what I found interesting, Justin Katz, is he finally came out and said, the problem here is is the union that you can't unless we can rip up the contract. They have too much power. The system is built to fail. You can't get rid of bad teachers. Uh, there's different changes we need to make. I, I think part of the I think part of the problem is that the media doesn't do enough, as we talk about home, to dig in on the other side. For instance, last week, and I want to get your thoughts. It was huge that you know the union link. They're going to close three schools. Well, what is then not reported is yeah, but they would reopen them as charter schools. Therefore, the problem is the union. You cannot have a successful school in Providence. If the union is running it, because there's too many barriers to actually have a real education. Absolutely. I mean, getting back to the media, the idea that there's there would be audible gasps. The first reaction of a real journalist upon finding him or herself gasping at something, uh, an outgoing mayor, to write it down and make a note. I'm going to dig into this. And find yes. out why he say such a thing. I'm good. Is that true? I'm going to look into it. I'm going to find the truth here. They don't want to do that, though. They don't want to do that because they know everybody already knows what they're going to find, and they don't want to find it. They don't want to find that unions are destroying schools and really ought to be made illegal in the Constitution, if possible, for, for public education. I mean, that's that's really what they're going to find, and they know it. They they ought to be digging. What's what are the results here? And they'll find. And this is another thing I'm sure they they would hate to discover. They'll find that folks. Folks like you, me, Mike Stenhouse, and the Center for Freedom and Prosperity all have been right all along. You don't yeah. need to, you don't need to necessarily close everything down. You don't even need to to empty the schools from the from the unions and find all charters. All you need to do is start implementing school choice, where some parents get a choice. Yep. It will increase, and we did a study when I was with the center, it will increase the amount of money going to education because if you give parents some money for a private school, they'll come up with to do it or other groups will uh, for charitable donations churches will give to their, their parishioners that kind of thing you'd draw million, billions probably at this point of dollars into public into education by creating some choice and you would you can absolutely allow private schools and charters to start to grow gradually and what will happen is not only will they they give students an immediate access to improved education. The incentive will be there and the system will break the unions. The systems will say, look, we cannot do this or we're going to be out of business in two years. You have to negotiate more fairly. You have to give in some of these, these wild perks you get. That would, that's what would happen instantly, instantly. None of these, oh, we've got a, I'm, I think we're going to talk about Shikarchi's interview with the Globe. You know, we're, we're, going to, we're going to give it 10 years with the state takeover. Yeah, 10 years. That's an entire kids. You, you've lost every kid who started yeah. in kindergarten at that point. That's not acceptable. You need an immediate solution. And it's very easy. It doesn't have to be all charter schools. And this, I think, is where Elors is still hedging his Democrat progressive bets here. But you don't need all charter schools. You just need choice. You need school choice. And that that's really will solve the problem much more quickly. And it, more importantly, it'll help you identify the problem, the things that are in the way, such right. as the unions, but there are others as well, you know, family issues and that kind of thing. Those will be identified more clearly as well. Yeah, I found it refreshing. And I hope, you know, since the John Hopkins report came out, there are still those in the media that say, well, you know, you got to get all the, as they call all the shareholders involved, and you got to get input from everyone. And they have the, the, the union head 
doing interviews. And, and, you know, this goes back to, you know, Hummel having Bob Walsh on as the, as the education expert and never, they don't fully comprehend. No, you don't understand. They are the problem. They're not part of the problem. You can't fire a bad teacher. If you're a student and you get a bad teacher, you're stuck for the year. There's nothing you can do. It's going to be a bad year and you can't fire anyone. If you go to a school and you say, we want to do some of the things they do at the charter school, which is start earlier, stay later, try to implement different programs. Guess who steps in and says, no, you can't do that. It's, it's the union. So I, I agree. You know, it's like they're still blind to the fact and those talking points being used. Oh, you know, you're disrespecting teachers. That's that's a union talking point. All of those um, just finally, but all of those uh, instances last week of kids were crying because their school's going to be closed and the parents were upset. The parents should be demanding the school be closed. Ninety five percent of the kids can't do the work at grade level. And this is what has the kids crying. I mean, it is just one thing after another. All right, folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Uh, Justin Katz, managing editor, anchorising.com, right here on the John DePietro Show. Falcon Pest Services, 12 months of the year, you could have a pest problem. Serving Rhode Island and Massachusetts called Falcon Pest Services today, 401-739-1322. Free consultation, 401 401- 739-1322. Locally owned and operated, serving Rhode Island and Southeastern Mass. They offer services for termites, bed bugs, ants, roaches, mice, rats, in the summertime, spring, fall, mosquitoes, and many other pests. Call today for a free consultation, whether it's for your home or a restaurant. Maybe it's once a year, maybe it's once a month. Call Falcon Pest Services today. Free consultation, 401-739-1322. Residential and commercial, whether it's an office building, a school, a hotel, a restaurant, or your home, call Falcon Pest Services today. Free consultation, 401-739-1322. Our segment is Politics This Week. With me is Justin Katz, Managing Editor anchorising.com justin i wanted to give you a final did you have a final thought on the providence school system and, and mayor allures of really now kind of ripping off the band-aid and letting people know what the problem is yeah well i, th- I think we need to we then this is what the unions have cultivated above all we need to get back to understanding the goals here and that you know we're, we were hiring professionals to teach children oh, will teachers be feel disrespected well do they deserve respect? I mean, that's right. you've got to answer that on a one-by-one basis. Maybe if they feel disrespected, maybe they, they ought to take a look in the mirror and ask why their school is failing and why we have to take these steps. And that goes for the parents too. I And I, I don't necessarily buy the parents are really upset. I mean, no. most of them probably aren't paying attention, but um, right. if they're upset, we what we need to figure out is why they're not upset at the right people. They, if they're upset, it ought to be, why are you running my kid's school so badly that they've got to close it? That's they ought to be upset at the people running the school. But instead, we've infantilized this whole thing, thinking it's like this this thing that other people should provide to us. And we've taken away the agents, parents and the teachers as well. That's where I think we really in the big scheme, we need to focus on how do we get these incentives realigned so that people are angry at the right people instead of getting caught up. And, and the media plays a big part in, in making that happen, making that narrative. It's always the teachers are always the good guys. Your local school is always doing great. It's always so- else, something else, not giving you enough money or whatever. Um, 
also speaker incoming well not incoming he's been speaker but he's got another his session starts again in january joe sakachi sat down with the boston globe two of their reporters dan mcgowan and fitzpatrick and laid out uh some of the things you know his top priorities for the coming year and i'm interested interested to hear uh what what justin katz thought of the interview well i mean some of it you know he can be reasonable, Shikarchi, in some ways. But the thing that really jumped out of me, and it, it happened in a few places, where he he slipped into suddenly it wasn't the legislature, it wasn't we, it was I. Like for when they were talking about shortening early voting, he was saying, uh, "Well, it doesn't yep. seem like we need as much early voting." And in his direct quote: "If someone can convince me that we need it, I'll keep it." As if he's the only one in the entire General Assembly who matters. And he did the same thing on, on other issues as well. Like, um, say, what are you, you're, are you a king, right? I mean, they were t- when they were talking about shoreline access, for example, he said, I wouldn't have passed the bill if I thought it was unconstitutional. You passed the bill? I thought there were there were dozens of, of lawmakers down there sure. just liberating and arguing. That's what really, that really jumped out at me. I think it was an important tell. Um, but but other than that, I mean, it's it seems a lot like... Uh, like business as usual to me and just the, the Providence schools, they were going to give them 10 years to judge it uh, talking about uh, what is it? Having to state buy up properties for housing. I mean, we tried that decades ago. It was called the projects and there's a reason it became synonymous with slums. That's, yeah. I mean, that's, that's where we're going. It's like, we've just forgotten a lot of the past. On the other hand, he did, he does dig in his heels a little bit on, on putting forward, the Rhode Island Foundation's proposal for $50 million of taxpayer guarantees for a biotech and life services hub. At least he's not gone off that cliff. So maybe there's a chance he's he's looked at all the money we got from COVID and said, yeah, that's going to stop. We can't keep giving out tens of millions of dollars every left and right. What did, uh, what did Justin, folks, again, our segment is politics this week. Justin, what do you make of the fact that it came to light that the Attorney General, uh, Nerona, he passed on handling uh, this Governor McKee action regarding the homeless at the state house. In essence, he didn't he didn't want any part of it. Well, you, you can understand and it, but it, why he wouldn't as a politician, and that's that's kind of what struck me when he got in. I mean, we both agreed he of all the people on the stage, he's one of the least political. You don't get the sense he's building up yes. to be, you know, the Attorney General of the United States, like in a, in a Gino Romano fashion. You don't get that sense. But but this is, I mean, the fact that he wouldn't take it starts to make you feel like maybe he's starting to get the political bug a little bit. And, and interestingly, going back to the uh, the story in the Globe with Alexa Gagos, uh, she she was very taken aback that I would I I happened to notice that if you search her stories for the word Democrat, McKee, Raimondo, they're not there. Uh, and But I look back and the only time you see the word Democrat mentioned is in reference to Nerona uh, and fighting back against McKee and refusing to back him up. Uh, that, so it shows you how they how they twist it. But uh, I think, you know, it's I don't know the intricacies of when an attorney general is obligated. But to me, this was an obvious one. And the attorney general, you would think would be defending the government's right to say you cannot set up a house on our property um but but it, it just gets political and, and it's all one way as we were discussing before yeah and i want to i want to come back to that just because so people understand the, the new mayor who's coming to los angeles she has said you know it's declared an emergency on the homelessness and obviously with them out there because of the weather people can you know more viably live outside in these tents, you know, the most is maybe they get a little rain in January this time of year, but by and large, 
Los Angeles, you know, LA weather is, is ideal for those that, you know, gets a little cold at night, but other than that, you're, you're good to go in that article. I, I think it's interesting that at, at no point is there even brought in someone to say, you know, Hey, maybe this family should have done this. Maybe they shouldn't be spending all this money in the hotel. I think it's interesting that someone just says, well, you know, they're trying to find an apartment. Well, why don't they, you know, try to find an apartment in Woodsocket. That's where they could qualify. They could get an apartment for that amount. Because I, I, I agree with that. Anything should stop someone from being on the streets, being at a campground, living in a motel. Maybe, you know, how many people, they, they want to buy, purchase a home in one area. They realize maybe they can't buy a, afford a home there. They, so they end up buying a home somewhere else. And then they kind of build from there. You know, it's it's very it's it's common in a lot of different places, but you're right, Justin. There's there's no element of that that comes into the equation in these stories. Right. It's they they've all got to be given, and their decisions have to be accepted, whatever they are. I mean, as, as you, their their families, I've been actually kind of surprised recently. It, it feels like I could just be perception, it's, but it feels like the number of people I know who are who are exiting Rhode Island uh, in political world and family and associates is is increasing, and I think that's that's. An, that's a question. If there's not housing here, maybe you should join all those people who are looking for opportunity in other states because we're not providing it. It goes back to uh, this, what I've called the company state, where really the business model becomes that the state provides services to people and gets other people to pay for them. And that's the, that's the way the economy functions. And that's how the government operates. And that's kind of, you, you see that really strongly in this case, where we can't encourage these families to leave because they are clients of the state. We need them. They're our, our product. And we just need to figure out how to get other people to pay for them and their services. I mean, that's that's really what it comes down to. And it, it always shocks me that there's nobody in these stories, let alone, you know, putting just mild policy suggestions. There's nobody saying, look, these are adults. They've got to make decisions. Maybe this isn't the place for them. Maybe we, and if we don't like that, we need to change this so it is the place for them, but that's not the situation right now. I mean, it's great that they have family they can turn to, but maybe, you know, maybe it's time for, for us to figure out how to get people to where they're is housing where there is opportunity and we can't just be leaning on people because if you don't if you don't start changing that attitude you end up making the problem worse and you end up with like la although i, I think you're right our, our winters are probably put some kind of a, a backstop on this issue here but you have to start thinking in terms of getting people to, to have and getting people to rent out more housing. So you can't start cracking down on landlords and saying you can't evict. You know what happens? The first time somebody has a problem with that, they stop being a landlord and then you've got no house. They sell it and it either becomes a, a store or a parking lot or, or a somebody buys and fixes up for themselves. These are complicated problems, but we have to start with uh, you know, looking at the actual situations and assuming that grown people should be able to make good decisions and we can help them when it's difficult for them, but it's my job to take care of them. I mean, you make the situation worse when you try. Folks, again, he's the managing editor, anchorising.com. Our segment is politics this week. Justin, excellent job as always. Merry Christmas. And we will talk to you before the new year. Merry Christmas. I'll talk to you soon. Next time you have an emergency, think AtMed Urgent Care. Two locations, 1524 Atwood Avenue, Johnston. That's right in the Atwood Medical Center. And also, 5750 Post Road, East Greenwich, right across from Felicia's. 
at med urgent care when you have an emergency they specialize ambulatory medicine they provide immunization school and sports physicals at at med urgent care they provide comprehensive outpatient health care to individuals families they're on duty at all times they're open seven days a week walk-in routine urgent care minor surgical now if you're in a car accident go to at med urgent care avoid the long wait at the emergency rooms they also do adult vaccinations laboratory testing at med urgent care when it's an emergency 1524 atwood avenue in johnston that's right in the atwood medical center and also 5750 post road east greenwich online at admedurgentcare.net you're listening to the john DePietro show it's am 1380 99.9 fm you can always listen online at our website dipetro.com it's monday as i said december 19th and Folks, there's an interesting story. If you log on, we're getting a lot of attention on the website. Um, I heard from a number of people, it's kind of comical to me, that went to the um, Trinity Rep. They do the Christmas Carol. And each year they try to do a different spin. So this year they've tried something different. If you log on at the website, dpetro.com, you'll see Trinity Rep Woke Christmas Carol. And all right, so they want to do something different. And they made Abenezer Scrooge, Abby and so scrooge is played by a woman which is fine whatever they want a different spin but then it starts to go off the rails so in the trinity rep christmas carol first of all from what i understand they walk out and they want all the theater goers to know that that uh you're sitting on stolen land they also purposely don't have an intermission so people can't get up and walk out on the performance but in this, and it's it's one set. There's no costume changes, seemingly. There's no set changes. Um, uh, the nephew of Scrooge is prefers same-sex relationships. Okay, I'm not convinced London at the time you would have had people openly um, with their sexuality like that, but be that as it may. But then it comes into Bob Cratchit and Tiny Tim. So they only speak Spanish. This is Trinity Rep Christmas Carol. Only speaks Spanish. So they are, it, they intimate that they are illegals. And Tiny Tim, who Tiny Jose, this is Trinity Rep Christmas Carol, a woke Christmas. Tiny Jose, or known as Tiny Tim, the problem, you know, he has the bad leg and the crutch. And then you see the crutch in front of the fireplace and cratch. It carries him on his shoulder and so forth. Well, now they, from what I understand, they intimate that the reason is uh, he's a little illegal and because of that they can't get you know proper medical care so now i've also heard uh, the ghost one of the ghosts is then transgender i'm not fully sure which one of ghosts past future so forth but so I, I don't understand. From what I understand, a number of people were disappointed. Some people wanted to walk out, but there's no there's no intermission, so you can't just get up and walk out. <clears throat> and then we're hearing, I am hearing it again, you can read all about this on the website, tbtrope.com, that some of the modern day, they're putting different versions um, on various Christmas classics. Uh, the Grinch Who Stole Christmas Now have you heard about this? One of them is the reason why Grinch is so unhappy is he wants gender reassignment surgery. 
and the corporate elite of Whoville, the Who's in Whoville, uh, they won't cover it on his insurance. So once the Grinch has the gender reassignment surgery, apparently that's what brings him, you know, how he then turns it around at the end. There's a rendition of A Wonderful Life that is playing. Uh, George Bailey, again, they always feel they want to put a spin on it modern day. George Bailey loses his firm, which is involved in cryptocurrency. Uh, Uncle Billy ODs on fentanyl. Potter runs a hedge fund. <clears throat> Clarence, the you know, the angel, convinces George you would have lived a wonderful life as a woman. And then Bert, the cop, is fighting Black Lives Matter protesters with Harry Bailey. Now, in this adaption of Wonderful Life, the modern day, George and Mary are also homeless in the new version. And then Mary suffers from depression. Then we hear about, there's a current rendition of Frosty the Snowman. Frosty's non-binary. And he and, you know, the little girl, Karen, so they are homeless. They live in tents outside of the city. And Frosty is not welcome because he is a non-binary homeless person. So, <clears throat> now folks, I, um, <laughs> I understand. But Trinity Rep, Trinity Rep, all true. By the way, you can read all about all of this on the website, tapetrove.com. Trinity Rep, I I understand they want to put a fresh spin and people say, you know, we want to try something a little bit different. And I'm sure it's a challenge, you know, that the when you take something that's been done a bunch of times and that but but what they don't understand is many times that's people familiar with <clears throat> the script, the story. That's what kind of makes it for people. A lot of people, they're not looking for a brand new spin on things. But that's what I understand. So it's certainly making some waves with uh, a, a Christmas carol or a woke Christmas, as they're calling it. Now, folks, I also want to mention on this Monday, I, I don't think it's a bad thing. Elon Musk posted a poll. Do you think I should resign as a chairman of Twitter? I, I'll say this. Number one, I, I think it's good that he's operating it. I do. Um, I recognize a lot of people are not on Twitter for whatever reason. I live on it. So it's an invaluable tool. Uh, resources, story breaks, that's where all the reporters are, that's where all the media is. However, I like that Elon Musk owns it. I, I just don't think he needs to be as engaged as he is. I'm hoping that maybe this was the long-term plan. It's a little bit too much of his sandbox. I think I... That's that's my take. I don't need him letting us all know that he controls it. It's too much of like it's my ball, you know, the kid that takes his ball and goes home if things don't go his way. Um, all right, so he's the second wealthiest, richest person in the world. <clears throat> I don't mind him owning it, and he seems to be shedding light on a lot of the problems that existed at Twitter. But I don't I don't need him there participating as much as he is because it's become too much of a distraction and twitter is fantastic and i think they're having some problems with advertisers now and various people are leaving the platform now okay you know very easily can say boy a lot of these people weren't concerned with other people were leaving the platform 
But as far as do I mind that he may be leaving? No, I, I don't mind because I don't think it's like his sandbox. I don't think whoever owns it needs to be there reminding everyone that he owns the sandbox, he controls the sandbox, and we're all just playing in his sandbox. Um, I think that's more than obvious. I don't think he needs to. All right, folks, it's Monday. Much more ahead Christmas week right here on the John DePietro Show. It's getting cold already this winter. Keep your family, your employees warm with Matthews Oil Company. Call them today, 401-942-7500. Matthews Oil Company, 24-hour emergency service. For over four generations, they make it easy to keep your home comfortable and safe. Trusted oil delivery. Call Matthews Oil Company today, 401-942-7500. You can find them online, matthewsoil.com. Matthews Oil, Premier Dealer, Rhode Island, delivering the highest quality heating fuels at Matthews Oil. They take pride providing reliable, affordable service for you and your family. Celebrating 90 years of service. Call them now. It's going to be a cold winter. Get that tank filled. Call Matthews Oil Company today. 401-942-7500. In an emergency, they offer 24-hour emergency service. Matthews Oil Company. 401-942-7500. 24-hour emergency service. Right, Jim? Yes. And for right now, it is expensive for people. You'll work out payment plans for individuals with oil. Yes, we have budget plans. We have. Uh, we also take state. Uh, we take state heating assistance. We belong to every city and towns uh, community action groups. We've participated with that for twenty years. We're actually thirty or forty now since the eighties. to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at our website, dipietro.com. Remember, weekdays, 11 to 2. But visit the website, dipietro.com. That's the best way to reach me. There's a direct link. Contact John. We also have all our sponsors right there. We have unique, original reporting, stories, videos. Also, all our links to social media, whether it's Facebook, when we do Facebook Live, or YouTube, or Twitter. It's all right there at the website, dipetro.com. And then remember, once you're there, you can also visit the shop. We have great gifts that you can get. It's a happening. All links to the show. Plus, if you ever miss any part of the show, it's all right there under radio show right there. Folks, it all starts by logging on at dipetro.com. And on the left-hand side, you can always listen live. Again, all our links, everything begins and ends right there at the website, dipetro.com. The Coesed Inn, 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick, Rhode Island tradition since 1977. Delicious food, great atmosphere, whether it's lunch or dinner or drinks in the lounge. They can also accommodate large groups. A great meal, a feast is waiting for you at the Coesed Inn. Stop it and see them all year round. 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick. They're waiting for you at the Coesed Inn.